All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see it? Did you know Check for the puck comes right to Pedersen who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! The moment's no You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. By the way, episode 200. Episode 200, and my co-host isn't even here today. 
How bad is that? Luckily, filling in for him, Harmon Dial. But first, Canucks Convo is presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Use promo code Hockey Season for $5 off your order and free shipping all across Canada. Ontario to Oshawa. No, Oshawa's in Ontario. But you can get free shipping there no matter what. Use promo code Hockey Season at Zephyr Epic. We're also delivered by the great folks at DoorDash. You can use promo code ConvoDD on your first order, 25% off and free delivery. Like I said, episode 200, it's a celebratory episode to wrap up training camp. Everything lines up so nice. And where's David Quadrelli? Nowhere to be found. Harmon Dial stepping in to co-host. Harm, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Are we are we going to tell the story of, of why Quads Quads isn't here? Or, or should we just uh, leave That's- that... Leave that for another day. I think that's for our new Patreon subscribers. We'll see if if he wants to explain. Yeah, we'll leave that He's to not, him. We'll leave that to him. We went out drinking last night. That's not the reason. And I think people yeah, might have no, picked up on reason. it that we were having a little bit of fun yesterday on the uh, on the podcast a little bit. It was a lot of fun recording, heading out. Uh, went out to a, a cool little brewery, which was kind of the worst spot possible for you and quads. I don't think you guys are big beer guys in the end. Yeah, Definitely not. Uh, and it was funny with quads. Uh, what did he end up getting? Um, the Manhattan. Manhattan. Yep. And it's this classy drink and Drance is hyping him up, him, him up for it and takes a sip and he's immediately re- reaching for the water like, oh, that was disgusting. So <laughs> that was pretty funny. One of the highlights of the night for sure. Yeah, most definitely. It was funny watching. Uh, well, you guys weren't going to go for any of those beers. That was pretty obvious. I, I liked a couple of them. Uh, there were some pretty tasty ones. And at the same time, your drink. Nice little guava, passion fruit, something, something. That looked yeah, it was like, sweet. Uh, looked it was good. nice. It was, uh, yeah, it tasted really good. It was a good recommendation by Drance. A couple of Coke and rums back at the hotel room as well, I think. Yeah. But we're all feeling good. We're here enjoying a great scrimmage. I thought this was a, was this the best scrimmage for sure out of the other oh, ones? I this thought this was, was much 10 better. 10 times better than the one yesterday. And just in terms of the pace, the intensity, it was night and day, and 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 they really put on, I think, a pretty good show for the for the fans that came out here on the weekend, the Abbotsford Center, and there's a lot more to talk about, lots of things to, to kind of dive into. Yeah, I think that the scrimmage looked, looked and felt really good for some players. I want to get into one guy right off the top, and that's Danila Klimovich. I thought, by far, this was his best day of camp. This was the first time I said... Maybe maybe there could be a spot for him to be in the AHL. Like maybe there is maybe this is a guy who does look like he could play with pros because before today I didn't think so, but just seeing some of the hands, some of the the release on the shot, it felt like a pro performance from Danila Klimovich today. Yeah, he was by far the most dynamic player offensively and obviously some of the vets aren't like you can clearly tell someone like JT Miller wasn't going his hardest, but even in light of that to see Klimovich just creating chance after chance, essentially able to use his hands to create shooting lanes for himself, nifty little backhand pass, just able to knife his way through the defense and and create space in high traffic areas. Looked very, very dangerous and very intriguing physical tools when you look at um, when you look at the size, the athleticism and the hands, and I think when you talk about potentially being in the AHL, I I am starting to kind of see the rationale. I remember Drance and I were kind of chatting in the suite about it, where he's he's got these loud offensive tools. What you really need him 
to do now is he's still a raw product. It's it's developing the pro ready details, a lot of the on ice awareness, a lot of the ability to support the breakout, understanding how to play along the walls, and you know just understanding defensive responsibilities, being consistently engaged, just building good pro habits. And so I think um, I think that's the kind of climate where, as opposed to just ripping up the queue, maybe playing say third line minutes in Abbotsford alongside the coaches here could could help for that. I think of his confidence quite a bit here. Like, this is what I'm thinking of with a guy like Klinovich. You'd like to have him be a confident kid. I think to get the best out of him when he gets to that NHL level, you want him to be as confident as possible. All we've heard Klinovich talk about is that he wants to be on the Canucks. He wants to stay here, play pro hockey. I wonder what a confidence hit it is to him to be even just, not only just sent down to the QMJHL, but what if he doesn't have success there? What if he doesn't have the success that we think he's going to have? That would be a massive hit to his confidence. If he goes into the AHL, I think he's also surprised that he's able to make the AHL. And even if he doesn't have a good season, which he might, which he might not, either way, if he's down in the A, I think that's a bigger, I guess, less risk for his confidence. Because if he goes to the Q and doesn't absolutely tear it up, is that a hit to his confidence? I, I don't know, because I think he he's just too physically gifted not to rip up the Q. And I think a lot of times it in fact be the opposite where a guy is so used to dominating every level he's been at and sometimes you know in fact i think there's a risk of if he goes goes down to the ahl and is trying to prepare himself for pro hockey and take some time to build up those habits and gain the trust of the coaching staff that maybe that's actually more frustrating and, and could affect him if he's not productive right away and there's perhaps a learning curve uh it's i guess it's a question of is the cue going to be challenging enough and and the best environment for his development. And, and that's, that, the, that's the thing we'll I want to get into is the environment. It's like here it's Vancouver run. This is, you know, the Vancouver Canucks are running what he's doing out in Abbotsford. When you put him away, you send him to the Huskies in the QMJHL, you are a little hands off, right? I mean, they're going to they're gonna do what they think is best for their team with him with, you know, in the back of the mind trying to develop him. But if you have him here in Abbotsford, you can do the exact development plan you want. 100%. And that's one of the great benefits of, being able to move to Abbotsford is having such a close eye on your prospects. I mean, when you look at Utica, for example, how many opportunities, and, and guys know this, guys on the team know this, you could be great in Utica, but no one from Vancouver is is coming out on a consistent basis to see you just because it's not practical to fly out to the to, to the uh, to, to New York from Vancouver in the middle <laughs> of the season. And uh, as opposed to now, it's just an hour drive from Rogers Arena. And so you'll consistently see Jim Benning. You'll consistently see other members of management and in the organization keeping that close eye. And it provides that much more incentive for the player where they feel that they're being that they're being watched and kind of taken care of and that they have an opportunity of if they show well to feel the support. Yeah, exactly. I think. That's the interesting thing that's going to happen. I mean, there's going to be so many positives from Abbotsford coming out here. And I think even just seeing the fan base today, like having, you know, quite the cheer before the puck drop there for the scrimmage, that was a lot of fun. But actually, no, we're here at the arena right now. We're recording our final episode of the three-day training camp here at the arena. We got something on the ice here that I wouldn't mind getting into right in front of us here because everything's wrapped up. Practice is all wrapped up. But we have Tyler Mott, Carson Fogue, Guillaume Brisebois working out with some goaltenders here. We're watching Mott a little bit here, and it doesn't doesn't look like there's something that wrong with Tyler Mott. I think he's close to playing. I'm wondering if it's just a recovery from the surgery and they want to avoid contact. Like, he doesn't look 
out of shape skating around or shooting the puck. I think is it do you think it's just him avoiding contact at this point? Has to be the contact, I'd imagine. And um it's obviously tough to say because they haven't been very transparent in terms of what exactly was the injury. Uh, we know it was unrelated to his his concussion, and and so yeah, I imagine it it's probably something to do with that, and um, it's at least encouraging to see him back on the ice, and especially because of like I don't know if Mont isn't ready for the start of the season, what the penalty kill is going to look like, and how that could impact um, the ability of look at Zach McEwen, and like he's a non penalty killer, and and so. Even if, let's say, he hypothetically had a fantastic preseason, Mott's out. Do the Canucks have enough penalty killers where they'd be able to draw McEwen Because they don't want to use Miller and Horvat on the PK. They don't want to overtax them if they can avoid it. So at least good to see Mott back on the ice. And yeah, and yeah he's skating around well. He is moving well. Like He's moving well out there. I, I think I was worried about him coming back for the regular season. If it's just contact, and from seeing what we see already, the regular season's still couple weeks away i'm not as worried seeing mod on the ice here today i'm worried about brandon sutter not being on the ice a lot more and that's an interesting one yeah it's <laughs> and that's the that was the only worry when brandon sutter signed was his health and we're kind of seeing it now and again another really important penalty killer right shot centerman and uh, especially with Pedersen, uh, Pedersen still unsigned, you're down two centers. And I'm sure Pedersen, like if I were a betting man, I'd bet that he gets done before his contract gets done in time for the start of the regular season and he'd be back. But yeah, I mean, the Canucks only have two of their projected four regular centers available right now. And uh, it, it just feels very Canuckish, you know, like and, is, and the right side of the blue happen. line too. Now mm-hmm. we've seen Travis Hamannick's on certain status. And now, you know, unfortunately we saw Brady keeper go down as well. Yeah. That was tough to watch Brady keeper go down there. Uh, blocked a shot, put some weight on the leg and it something, something went out there. Uh, had to get on a stretcher to get off the ice. And that, that was tough. Cause I thought he, I thought he was having a good camp and I thought that keeper came out there. was even playing time with Tyler Ma- or Myers quite a bit. You know, getting the opportunity to move in that spot after Ole Olevi has just been completely thrown out of the roster, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, tough, really tough way to end camp out here. And, and everyone saw it, and it was a tough injury to watch. Um, so, yeah, all the best to Brady Keeper. That's going to be a tough recovery for him. But we'll quickly get into, I guess, a little bit more from the scrimmage before uh, I got to run and go do a one-on-one with uh, Victor Pearson here in a second. But before that... Uh, we'll quickly touch on just another name in the scrimmage that we kind of talked about and have been screaming at each other over the past 12 hours about Jonah Gadjevich playing NHL games. But, you know, you gave him credit today. He said he had a little bit of another good game, scored another goal, two goals and two scrimmages. I just kept saying, like, he's the type of guy who's going to score goals. I know he doesn't do it in a pretty way, and I know he's not the, the new age NHL scorer. But, man, does the dude put the puck in the back of the net. He's in the right spot a lot of the time, and he's got two goals and two scrimmages now. And I just thought he was moving around the ice pretty well today. And there's Pearson. I got to go. Okay, we're going to put a pause on this, and we'll be right back. Folks, summer might be over, but the time to drink squish is never over. This drink is taking its way into the fall, into the winter, and this is the perfect beverage for everyone. It's not one of those zero-calorie drinks that has no flavor and just tastes like tonic water. 
These ones have some flavor, folks. Squish Beverage, you can find it all over BC liquor stores, but I'm telling you, you got to do a little bit of digging. You got to go to some private liquor stores. If you find it, tweet at us about it because other listeners want to know where they can find the Squish Lemonade. Comes in a variety of flavors. My favorite, Squish Lemonade Passion Fruit or Squish Lemonade Pine BC liquor stores, or do some of that digging and find the Squish Lemonades at private liquor stores across British Columbia. All right, folks, you know what time it is? We are here to talk about our favorite beer sponsor, Parallel 49 Beer. One of the go-tos quads. You can find this one at most restaurants, too. A lot of restaurants. I've yes. seen it around. The Trash Panda. Simple. One of the longest standing beers from Parallel 49. Highly recommend going out to try it. Not just the beers, though, but the patio quads. The patio at 1950 oh. Triumph Street. Tell the folks about some food and the, the sweet little drinks on the side that I know you like. So the Muddler's Pink Lemonade is my go-to, but man, the food there, cheeseburgers, chicken bur- the spicy chicken burger was fantastic, sub the pickles, right? Get the pickles instead Absolutely. of uh, jalapenos, poutine, I had, fantastic. They got some green onion in there, and it's nice and melted. The worst thing about a bad, like what makes a poutine bad is when the cheese is not melted. This one, it's melted, and it's very, very good. So go down, check that out, the poutine, the burger, the spicy chicken sandwich. What was that last thing we got? The, we got some wings. The as wings, well. wings, the Korean barbecue wings. But they're also putting a roof over there. They're working on it for the fall, so it's not oh. just going to be the patio. We got rained out the other day trying we to did. go to Parallel 49, but they're putting a roof over it. Uh, the beers are always fresh. So many different beers on tap there. So go out and try some Parallel 49 beer. You can get it at every liquor store you can find, and also get on the 1950 Triumph Street to check out the street kitchen. And a huge thank you to our sponsors for supporting the Canucks Conversation show. Harm. We are now back at home, man. It uh, We made the drive back from Abbotsford. We had a quick little record session there. I went to run and go talk to Victor Pearson. You had to run home uh, with your ride, riding with Thomas Drantz. And uh, you guys got some fun stuff coming up for The Athletic. Let, let's just give you a quick second here to kind of plug it. I know that uh, you guys are working on a couple things that are going to be dropping like Sunday and Monday here. Yeah, so Sunday we're going to be doing our updated depth chart after training camp, looking at where guys slot against each other in terms of looking at the positional battles and, and just trying to make sense of what the pecking order could look like. And then for Monday, uh, really excited. We're going to get uh, Dom Fusion's data. Uh, he's obviously the stats guy at The Athletic, and, and he has his model, uh, which uh, we'll be looking at in terms of uh, analyzing the Canucks' roster quality, playoff odds, all that good stuff. It's going to be a fun deep dive. Absolutely. Well, that's good stuff. And I know uh, Athletic, what do you guys, you guys must have another deal going on right now, right? I think it's something like 99 cents or, or something like that. A free month and then 99 cents after that. It's a crazy little deal at the Athletic from when I used to have to pay like $8 a month to use the damn thing. Yeah, I think right now it's 50% off for new subscribers. I think I think that's the promotion. So yeah, if anyone hasn't uh, signed up yet and wants to check it out, we've got uh, tons of content there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, a ton more to come. I'm kind of looking forward to Monday quite a bit. I mean, Sunday's game, it's going to be interesting to to see, obviously, the first preseason Vancouver Canucks game. But from your thoughts and kind of hearing Travis Green speak today, are you expecting much of an NHL roster for Sunday night? Because from the sounds of it, it sounded like he was saying that we're going to see a lot more on Monday. He was saying that the veterans are going to be in there on Monday to kind of give a show to Abbotsford's introduction to kind of pro hockey with the Vancouver Canucks organization. For sure, and it's it's exactly as you kind of mentioned it uh, with respect to the idea of first time in Abbotsford, let's put on a show for the community. And I think especially when it comes to Sunday in, in Spokane, 
there's just there's just not going to be a ton of like even though it's against uh, the Kraken, not going to be a lot of fanfare. I think going through all all of that hassle, especially because you still have to do all the testing and and go through all of that to to get to Spokane. So I, as a result of that, I think definitely you you create the buzz for Abbotsford. And even for someone like uh, like Pod Colson and, and a lot of these Europeans, some of them might not even have their work visas to go down south of the border yet. So definitely expecting a much better lineup on Monday. I think that'll be the more exciting game to watch for sure. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Absolutely. I'm, I'm pumped to finally get back there. Uh, I know we're going to be back there on Monday watching that one. And that's that's a preseason game that I'm expecting to see because I've, I've had a lot of people in the DMs asking me about the line of Garland, Miller, and Pod Colson. And Harm, we've kind of touched on this a little bit over the weekend here but i felt like that line you know they didn't really impress us a ton but i'd love to see what that line actually does against you know another team what they're going to do against calgary on monday like i i'm kind of expecting to see that miller garland pod colson line potentially be like one of if not the top line against calgary in that first preseason game yeah that's the combination they go to it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they uh, mesh because one way or another, that's going to dictate what uh, Travis Green does with the rest of the top nine. And it was pretty evident, despite the fact that on Saturday, the intensity and pace of the scrimmage really seemed to ramp up. Someone like J- JT Miller was definitely going through the motions, like a lot of the veterans. Like, it wasn't just him, even, even the likes of Horvat and Pearson. And it's not that those guys weren't trying, but they're not going to go all out, 100% risk injury, throw their body around and, and be physical like that. And I mean, in the last five minutes or so, when, when, when things started ramping up, then you could see a clear difference in terms of Miller ramping things up and you could go, okay, he's, he's actually trying now. So I think that's a big part of it and, and why that line's been quiet through camp so far. But as you kind of mentioned, seeing them in preseason action is, is going to be huge. And I think especially that'll be a better opportunity for Pod Colson because I think through camp to this point, he's played on a line where both of his both of his teammates haven't really driven the bus and pod Colson right now, anyway, is more of a complimentary piece than he is uh, someone who can independently drive offense. So it's kind of affected his ability to make an impact as well. So once uh, Miller and Garland hit the ground running, I think it'll be, I think it'll open up uh, an opportunity to see more of what pod Colson can provide as well. And I'm really curious with that line because I think it was put together for a reason. Like, I do think that it's a great spot for Pod Colson to be in playing with two veterans and specifically one in JT Miller, who was just an, an excellent leader to him throughout the whole weekend there at training camp. But to me, like if even, you know, if Pedersen comes back for the regular season, which I sure hope he damn well does, if he's here for the regular season opener, I wonder if they go back to Lotto line. I know we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in the weekend, but to see what they can do. And you floated this idea, a little bit of a different one, because I know that you were talking about uh, putting Dickinson up on the first line uh, to play with Pedersen and Besser. Might just be a little mix that Travis Green was something that he could do. I mentioned that about two weeks ago when you were on the show with us. But I think what the the point of that, you know, you bringing up that potential line combination was kind of saying how good the third line can really be at that point. And it almost pushes Horvat into a third line role. I'm going to guess that if you do put Garland together with Miller and Pod Colson, that feels like a second line if you're going to be putting Pedersen between Huglander and Besser on your first line. So to me, moving Horvat down to a third line role with Tanner Pearson on his side, have we ever, I don't like, I know the answer to this, but I'll let you kind of give your point. Have we ever seen Bo Horvat have 
easier matchups if he's playing in a third line role with Tanner Pearson and then kind of insert name here on the right wing there. Yeah, no, we haven't. And it's going to be interesting though, because in practice, the one thing that, or sorry, I should say in reality, the one thing I'm kind of wondering about in game like situations is how, like obviously Garland and, and Miller are excellent players, but I still wonder about Miller's ability to play center. And I still think he's better along the wall. Uh, I think through camp, it's, it's still been evident that uh, Miller making plays, especially on the breakout through the middle, he just isn't as comfortable as he is along the wall. Like that's one of his best attributes when he's playing as a winger is his ability to accept a pass on the defensive half wall, uh, face the heat, uh, be calm and poised, and make a smart decision with the puck that allows uh, the team to make a clean breakout as opposed to when he's in the middle of the ice He's coughing off the coughing up, up the puck a lot, and that was something that I definitely noticed when tracking um, some of the regular season games he played at center. His field exit percentage rate ballooned in the tracking that I did when he played at center. So I do wonder how they're going to click. One other combination that I've kind of been wondering about is when Pedersen comes back. Let's say uh, he uh, Miller does move to the wing. We're seeing Hoglander on the top. Uh, we've seen Hoglander on the top line, and I think I was talking about this with Drancer as well. He's definitely looked faster. He's looked a lot more dynamic. He's looked good there uh, alongside Besser. I wonder if at some point we could see something like Hoglander, Pedersen, Besser, and then potentially see Horvat, Horvat and Miller together. You go Miller, Horvat, Garland, and then have a third. Uh, third line of Pearson, Dickinson, Pod Colson. Because again, that uh, that third line there with that with uh, with that trio, really big, defensively oriented, pain in the neck to play against. All, all three of those guys, four check well, back check well, just could be the makings of a defensively responsible line that could maybe absorb tougher matchups if you're confident in Pod Colson's uh, two way abilities, and then you free up potentially a second line of Miller, Horvat, and Garland, which could really wreck uh, uh, opponents. And so if Travis Green is confident enough uh, that Hoglander can stick and, and be dynamic and effective in a top-line role, then, I mean, that second-line combination could be – second and third-line combination could be really interesting to potentially see as well. Yeah, Jason Dickinson, like – he's not a camp player, right? He's not a camp player like Lockwood or Huglander or these smaller guys that can use their speed. But just kind of watching Jason Dickinson do do a lot of his offensive work, it came really close to the crease. I mean, it it wasn't anything special from him. He definitely doesn't have a good shot. Like, people were questioning Pod Colson's shot going into this. Dickinson kind of didn't really show much at all with how you know lethal his shot can be. But you mentioned, like, a big body that Jason Dickinson is. He's not the type that's going to impress us in camp. He's the type that's going to impress when he is on the ice, playing, against, playing games against top lines. And that's when we're going to see, like, oh, this is Dickinson's worth. It was hard to kind of take away a lot from Jason Dickinson at this training camp because really everything that they were doing in training camp is they did a lot of just passing, skating, moving, taking shots. And unfortunately, those aren't Jason Dickinson's strengths. So what do you think we're going to see in the preseason from Jason Dickinson here moving forward? Because everybody wants to see this lockdown center. 
are we going to see that? Because none of a there's not really any hype at all around Jason Dickinson from what we saw at training camp. Like I I rarely saw his name or heard his name mentioned, even as us in the media are just kind of going around talking to each other about what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't like. Like, did Dickinson's name come up ever in conversations with anyone today? Like over pretty much the whole weekend. Like I don't remember talking Dickinson with anybody. Yeah, I mean he was really quiet and I think, as you mentioned, part of it is that his skill set is is one that would translate better in a game environment. But even beyond that, you know, going into the preseason and, and obviously the regular season as well, we've seen the track record of of him historically in Dallas, where he has had the elite underlying numbers in terms of his defensive impact. And I just think it's one of those uh, scenarios where defensive forwards just don't get a lot of love and, and typically tend to go undervalued, especially someone who uh, doesn't um, pop at first glance, doesn't stand out to the eye. But in Dickinson, I think the Canucks have someone who is big, is rangy, skates well, uh, intelligent positionally, takes care of his own end first, and should be a crucial part of uh, the penalty kill. And, and he becomes all that more important with uh, with the uncertain status of Brandon Sutter, especially if, if he's out to start the uh, regular season, then uh, Dickinson's your number one penalty killing center. And so he is he's just such an important piece for them. He needs to pan out um, in whatever role he's used, whether it's on the wing, whether it's at center, um, he needs to help on the penalty kill. Uh, whether it's potentially taking on a matchup role, the Canucks just need his defensive skill set, even though it's not necessarily going to look pretty. And even though um, he's probably not going to be someone that uh, fans or, or media discuss a ton uh, in the season, just because he's not going to have those flashy offensive numbers. Is he almost like a defenseman where if you're not hearing his name, he's doing his job? Is that kind of your expectation for Dickinson? I think to a certain extent, yes, but, a lot of it, I think you'll have to see what the line's underlying results are too, where sometimes you have lines that are quiet and because they're quiet, it's tough to tell whether they're spending more of their shifts in the offensive end, more of them in the defensive end. And uh, I mean, when you look at the Canucks' bottom six uh, as a whole, um, or even just when Elias Pedersen hasn't been on the ice and, and Pedersen being a proxy for the top line, the, the goal differential of when he's on the ice versus when he's off the ice is so incredibly stark. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but the Canucks just get pounded when their top line isn't on the ice. And Dickinson, Dickinson in, in whatever line he leads is going to be really important to try and stem some of that bleeding. So yeah, I mean, Regardless of if he does well or not, I think he's still going to look relatively quiet. It's just a matter of we're going to have to dig a little bit deeper and pay a little closer attention. Um, look at you know the scoring chance numbers, shot attempt, shot attempt numbers. Uh, look at uh, what's going on in the score sheet when he's on the ice uh, in terms of goals for and against. And I think that'll um, you know really Dickinson doesn't need to do anything special. All he needs to do is is ensure that his line is not a liability. Uh, where essentially when your third and fourth lines are on the ice, especially when you have a top six as strong as Vancouver's, all you want them to do is skate their shift and for nothing really to happen. Yeah. And just give give your top six guys when they're when they're on the bench an opportunity to recharge the batteries and your top six guys are going to be your 
difference makers. You don't need Dickinson. You don't need the, the Sutter line to go out there and score a bunch of goals for you, create a ton of offenses on time or anything like that. You just need to ensure that they're not digging a hole that the top six then needs to get out of. And uh, so that's, that's ultimately where, where Dickinson's task lies. And it's, it's, we'll, we'll see who his line mates end up being. There's just so many variables up in the air, but he's quietly an, an important contributor for the team uh, heading into the season. I'm going to find it interesting if Brandon Sutter isn't there. I, I wonder because that's when I wonder if you do see Miller stick at center. What, you know, with Pedersen back in the lineup, I wonder if Green wants to have that four strong centers throughout the season. And listen, Brandon Sutter is nothing special. We, we've talked about it. He's a $1 million player who's playing on your fourth line. And like you've kind of said, with a fourth line guy, you just don't want to take too much damage. And I think Brandon Sutter will be fine when he is playing in that role. But if he is out for the beginning of the regular season, you could go with the four centers being Pedersen, Horvat, Miller, and then Dickinson as your fourth line center, which I don't think a lot of people were expecting to hear Dickinson start the season as your fourth line center. But due to the circumstances now of potentially missing Brandon Sutter, I wonder if that's what Travis Green wants to go with just so that that backbone down the middle is as strong as possible because there are definitely some winger options, but taking Dickinson out of your top nine means that you have to promote one of, we saw McEwen in camp. We've seen Patan get some chances. Do you think that there's a chance Dickinson is the fourth line center if Sutter's out? And if so, who would be your pick to kind of move into that top nine role that we expect Dickinson to be in if Sutter's there? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And like you kind of mentioned, I wouldn't be surprised if Miller ultimately does end up at center if if one of if someone like Sutter or, or Patterson isn't uh, ready to go for the start of the season. And if that happens, I wonder about someone like Phil DiGiuseppe, who's really impressed at camp, and, and whether he's one of the wingers that could get promoted into into the top nine. And the thing about DiGiuseppe is. He's not just this hard, physical player who, who retrieves pucks and is good in the corners. He genuinely, he was a pure skill guy coming up as a prospect. He was a high second round pick for Carolina. And, um, and he spent a year, uh, an entire season in, uh, in Carolina's middle six. And, and now, mind you, that was during uh, some of their, I, I think, one of their lean seasons where they didn't, where they didn't have a lot of offensive weapons. Uh, but yeah, in 2015-16, his first year in the NHL, DiGiuseppe had 17 points in 41 games. That's a 34-point pace. And even on a per-hour rate, when you look at his 5 and 5 production, he's he's been he's been all right. I mean, again, I think he ultimately is just a fourth-line player. But if you're talking about so, oh, talking about a winger that has to step up into uh, a third-line role temporarily while you wait for for someone like Sutter to return to the lineup, then I wonder about wonder if Di Giuseppe is one of the players that uh, gets that opportunity higher up the lineup, especially with how strong he's looked at both ends of the ice camp. Yeah, I think he definitely showed well in camp, and it was it was kind of strange because I was expecting to see Di Giuseppe and Lockwood move up potentially in the lineup, but the fact that that during a lot of these drills, during these scrimmages, we didn't see McEwen move off of the Horvat line at all. And then, you know, also Patan not moving off of the line with Besser and Huglander as well. Just there weren't really another another like set of options that were tried throughout the three days. And I get it. Three days is so short. I'm sure we're going to see some sort of things mixed around when Green gets some practices in and actually preseason games. But I, I kind of like I don't know. Am I, am I reading too much into McEwen 
and Patan not being taken off of those lines because, yeah, I agree with you. I think Di Giuseppe showed more than McEwen, showed more than Patan. I, I also think Lockwood was another guy who showed well. Maybe he's a potential guy who can hop in on the third line. A lot to ask for the for the young kid as well. But I do I do see where you're coming from with Giuseppe because he impressed so much. But don't you think that it's – do you read much into what Travis Green did with McEwen? Because it felt like McEwen was – I don't want to say in Travis Green's bad book, but he definitely wasn't in his good book to finish off last season, pretty much to go through all of last season. But for him to come into camp and start on a Horvat's line, do you think that's something or is that kind of nothing when we're talking about maybe having a player needing to step into the top nine if Brandon Sutter or Elias Pettersson's out? Well, I'm sure he's going to continue to get, to, to get cracks at it, but at this rate, I don't see how McEwen would ultimately draw into the top nine because he hasn't shown anything. and. Uh, it's it's just been so bizarre with with McEwen's kind of uh, run over the last I'd say eighteen months. Where uh, after the trade deadline, we heard Jim Benning talking about McEwen as this full time NHLer, and, and he's going to did uh, they see him as as an everyday player? And then tour, and then in March, just before the shutdown it really seemed like he was finding his game and, and he followed it up with a really strong training camp performance in, in July. And then since then, it's been a downhill slope for him. And the, the, the question and, and what I ultimately wonder about is, can the Canucks even afford to have McEwen, Di Giuseppe, uh, and potentially Lockwood in the lineup? I don't think so. There's None of those guys can kill, can kill penalties. And so, I mean, that's one of, the things that the coaching staff is going to have to run through as well. Again, especially if Sutter isn't ready for the start of the season is uh, who's going to kill penalties. And, and you may not, you may ultimately have to choose, you know, maybe one or, or two out of uh, D Giuseppe Lockwood and McEwen in your lineup. So, and, and if that's the case, then on merit, D Giuseppe deserves that kind of spot over McEwen, in my opinion. Now, obviously I can't read into Travis Green's mind, but, my thought is that after the rough season that he had, that giving him that shot next to Horvat is it, it, it's it's an opportunity that McEwen had going into the camp in July. So it's it's perhaps Green's looking at it as maybe it's a reset button for for, for McEwen and he can get back back to uh, that positive trajectory he was on uh, just around 14 months ago, but. If, if he isn't showing anything, then it's tough for me right now to kind of pencil him in as as a top nine candidate. And for McEwen at this camp, like he didn't, I don't think he looked that out of place in a spot that was asking a lot of him to do. I don't think he looked that out of place. I didn't think he fumbled the puck as much as I was kind of expecting him to do so. It just, he didn't also impress at the same time. Like he just kind of looked like a guy who was in a spot that was probably a little high for him in the lineup playing with Horvat and Pearson. But to me, he didn't, he didn't, you know, disappoint really at this training camp, but he was also one of those guys that was just kind of in the middle. But in my opinion, you have anything short of standing out for a depth guy is, is this is a disappointing camp in my opinion, because Mm -hmm. training camp is a type of environment where the veterans, whether it's a Horvat or Miller, it's natural. All veterans are in the league. They're not fighting for jobs. They're not going to be going at 100%. Like, it's just human nature. Why would you uh, go balls to the walls and potentially injure yourself when you know you already have a lineup spot? And, you know, guys talk about preseason games not mattering. This is, these are, some of these are, this is training camp. This <laughs> Thrills, isn't, yeah. These aren't even preseason games yet. 
So when you look at the top guys that really stand out, they're, they're always depth guys. We've talked about DiGiuseppe, uh, Lockwood, um, whether it's Hunt or even Brad Hunt or, or Klimovich. These are just young guys that are young guys or, or, and, or at least someone with an incentive to prove something. And so like that's the bare minimum, minimum expectation. Like if we're talking about DiGiuseppe as one of the best players in camp, the fact of the matter is he's ultimately a four-fine NHL player. And that just goes to show you that, in my opinion, just kind of fitting in and, and kind of like you need to stand out from the pack, in yeah. my opinion, to really make a strong impression and, and to have ultimately a good camp. So for someone like McEwen or, or even Matthew Heimler, I think is the more even more disappointing one. If you don't stand out at camp just because of the nature of the environment, I think that that is really honestly a negative, even though you're, you don't play poorly. If yeah. that kind of makes sense. No, it does because you're you're talking. I mean, we're talking about a player, McEwen, who is out of position playing on a second line or a third line, whatever you want to call it, with Horvat and Pearson. There, he's out of position playing that role. But I think I agree with you a lot. Like if De Giuseppe or if Lockwood was given that opportunity, they would have looked better. Just from the camp that they had, I think they would have fit in nicer on that line. Which was kind of why, like, I wasn't disappointed because it's just a scrimmage. But it, it was nice to see them play. But it would have been. Nice for me to see in that scrimmage a guy like Lock, Lockwood or DiGiuseppe get promoted into McEwen's role because, like you said, he wasn't showing much, right? Like, he was just showing that he's still Zach McEwen. I think when we were watching this practice and, and watching him go through drills, watching him skate lines with them, play in the scrimmage, he was still just Zach McEwen. To me, seeing Lockwood was like, wow, this isn't the Lockwood that we saw in a game last year, or maybe this is more of what we're going to see from Lockwood moving forward. And I kind of want to use that to transition because, Harm, I, I thought we could talk about then we'll kind of close out the show with this i want to talk about two of the biggest risers and two of the biggest fallers from just this three days of training camp i mean you can take away what you want it's just a training camp there's a lot more i would say a lot more value even in the preseason from what we're going to see over the next couple weeks here but i want to get from you i know we kind of touched on a few so i'll let you start who do you think was one of the two biggest risers from this three-day camp yeah i think one of them was definitely di giuseppe and among the group of fourth line slash replacement level slash quad A tier, uh, in terms of depth forwards trying to vie for the spot on the 23 man roster, Di Giuseppe, um, definitely, in my opinion, looked the most, looked the most like an NHL player in terms of just being comfortable in all facets of, defensive play, wall work, core checking, even in in and around the crease offensively. He just seemed extremely comfortable. He was a monster in puck battles and uh so to me I think he he made a he made a really good impression. I, I hadn't watched him a lot and I'd kind of been wondering about him as a dark horse to to make the team and potentially even the opening night lineup. Um I thought he he looked really good. We, we talked about Lockwood a lot, so I'll throw another name in there. Uh, Brad Hunt. Yeah, uh, I think we spoke a lot about the battle for the third pair left defense role, and uh, I think Hunt has by far been better than Rathbone and, and Ulevi. And that's not to say that Rathbone's had a bad camp because he hasn't. Uh, Rathbone's shown a lot offensively, and in particular in, in Saturday scrimmage, he um, he really danced around a lot in the offensive zone, but he also showed some defensive work that uh, that we had seen. Um, at parts of 
last season. And, and when you look at Hunt in comparison, he was just a really steady, smart veteran who, honestly, like I thought he looked like one of their better defensemen at camp. So um, I think he was definitely a riser as well. And do you want me to? Well, I'll, I'll jump in here. On, well or, I'll jump yeah, in jump here in. on Hunt here. And just, just from what you were saying, from what we're talking about when we're saying that he was one of the best looking defensemen, a lot of that, I think, just comes from the skating, right? I think his ability yeah. to to move around in the back end, not only just move, like not only just speed, but I think the awareness that he has just for creating space. Like you could see it in the scrimmage, how every time he was looking to receive a pass, he was in the perfect spot to have the most amount of time to make a decision. Like it was just little things like that that I think you only really get from being a veteran in the NHL and playing at such a high level. It's not just about skating and, you know, being good on your edges and having good flat out speed when you're going from, from zero to a hundred. But it was the little things about Hunt's game that just like, you know, we, we kind of heard and we've talked about this a lot that Hunt's not an AHL player. He's a guy who's been in the NHL for a few years now. He hasn't touched the AHL in a while. And I think that was the sort of thing that really proved it was seeing him in the scrimmage and just seeing how kind of, how smart he kind of was with just, being in the right spot, knowing when to call for a pass, like you could hear him very vocal when a, when a, his partner was under pressure and he knew that he was open to get a pass, like just little things like that that just NHL players seem to always do and we might take for granted and not talk about. Seeing that in Vancouver is something that we just haven't seen a lot from. Like a good, trusty defenseman back there, Brad Hunt, I liked a lot what he did as well. So I, I do agree with you where I think Rathbone was really good at times like really good and offensive like situations that's kind of what we're expecting from him so i'm really curious to see how this this whole seventh and eighth defenseman is going to shake down uh, but one guy that i don't really expect to be there i i can't believe this i coming into camp i was expecting this to be the camp for only levy to prove people wrong he's got to be one of the biggest followers right harm like he, he basically not only just from what he did in the skate and the conditioning, like obviously that was bad. It was a bad look. I think that left a sour taste in the whole organization and you don't have to look much further than the way that Travis green talked about it today in his media availability or just the way that he was, you know, at day two sent down to play with Victor Pearson, play on the bottom pairings and you know, not be with Tyler Myers like he was on day one. And to hear Travis green talk about it, I've seen a lot of people tweeting about long COVID problems. I don't think Travis green comes out and says that he would have expected more and that, certain things that Yolevi did you know he want he needs to see more of him in preseason because he didn't impress anybody uh during this three-day training camp and it wasn't just the skate it was the scrimmage it was drills it was him getting bulldozed by guys like Matthew Highmore it was him just getting outbodied by a lot of players and really just passed by almost everyone in the depth chart from this training camp yeah I mean in the, in, in the scrimmage Bo Horvat did a did a pull on uh, uh, spin move on on Elevi like they these guys started toying with him at a certain point and it's um I mean part of me feels feels bad for Elevi given everything he's gone through and I had initially kind of given him the doubt after the back skid I I thought maybe there's a reason he showed that poorly that we don't know but if again as you mentioned if Travis Green um, I mean, I shouldn't say if Travis Green. Travis Green was extremely blunt about Ulevi's overall camp performance, and and that just tells you that there was nothing else there. So that just goes to show you, um, again, like the the bag skate. I mean, he made like OEL's bag skate became such a big talking point. 
that, that doesn't even hold a candle to Yulevi and how long he was just on the ice for, just on all fours, completely wiped out. And and, and, for, and again, just moving past even the bag skate, um, the scrimmages, he just wasn't able to move his feet, uh, glassing out, just not able to make enough clean breakouts. He wasn't really solid defensively. It's, you just watch him play, and, and ultimately, if you took the nameplate off the back of this jersey, no one, no one would be talking about him as a potential NHL option based on what we saw in uh, in the three games in in or sorry the the three days in Abbotsford. Yeah. So, I mean, he has um, he has a lot. He has to do a lot to turn things around at this point because he really didn't uh, make a good impression at at camp. No, I like honestly, he was one of the worst defensemen at camp, you know, Canuck Leaper looked similar in a lot of things. There was, there was players that are not even going to crack the HL roster that looked worse than Ole Levy. And it was a horrible camp for him. And Travis Green kind of talked about it. Like a lot of these new guys, it's tough for them. They don't really know how to go through that drill, but you know, he was pretty clear in saying that like, you Levy's gone through it before he knew it was coming. Like he knew that that was coming. He should have been prepared for it. And to hear that out of Travis Green's mouth, that's why I've like, I'm getting so many people in the replies saying it's long-term COVID. It's long-term COVID. I don't think Travis Green comes out and says that if he has any knowledge of, of Yulevi being hurt or just having the effects of having COVID. And I know that Yulevi went through it. He lost like five to seven pounds when he was, uh, when he was dealing with COVID at the time. I don't know. I don't think Green comes out and says that if that's the problem. He was disappointed with Yolevi at camp, and I don't think he'd be disappointed if he knew there was long-term ramifications from having COVID. Yeah, no, for sure. And Travis Green is very protective of his players. We saw the way he he um, he he, de- he defended JT Miller hard last season, and he's just he's just someone who very rarely throws his players in the bus. He only does it if he's trying to send a message. In my opinion, that was Green trying to send a message that Oli, you got to get your stuff together. Like this, this isn't good enough. And mm-hmm. so we'll see how how it goes from 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 this point on. Maybe this is the kick in the pants Oli needs. But he's yeah, he's he's dug a pretty big hole for himself right now. And hey, we were arguing off air last night in the hotel when you were uh, when you were crushing those squish lemonades, or just sorry, they weren't lemonades, just the regular ones. We were having a little argument about this, you, me, and quads. Quad said something, or maybe this was on the show. Actually, now that I think about it, I think it was. Do you you think he gets claimed? Because I think he gets claimed off if waivers is you know if Yolevi hits waivers, I think he gets claimed. But you're in the camp of no, right? I actually I don't think I remember having this discussion. Um, oh, this might I think this was after you went to go shower. Me and Quads had a very big argument right, actually okay. about this. Yeah, now that I think about it, so I guess we'll bring you in for this take because I I said he probably does. Quads is. Quads was so sure that he doesn't get picked up that Quad said he would take eight shots to match your eight shots that you owe the podcast and the Patreon supporters uh, if he does end up getting picked up. So where do you sit on this? Because uh, Quads and I were on either side of the fence right now. It's it's such a honestly I don't know, and the reason is because always in such a unique position where he has such a high draft pedigree that a team might want to roll the dice on on him even though when we see him up up close we don't really we don't see someone who who's who deserves to to make this roster and i mean someone might look at his draft pedigree might look at 
the games you played in the league last year. And, you know, if you're, I don't know, Buffalo or uh, Ottawa, Ottawa is probably. Oh, probably Let me jump in here. The, the good, funny but. thing was we, we looked at Arizona's depth chart and we're like, you know what? I don't, I don't even think he gets on Arizona's depth chart at lefty. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it is, it's such a, it's, it's complicated. It's, it's tough for me to read, but here's one thing that I think looms large in this. That um, that photo of of Ulevi and and all the buzz about him lying on the ice like that, like that blew up on Twitter as well. Like as much as OEL, uh, that OEL tweet you had gained traction and, and went viral. The the Ulevi stuff did to a certain extent as well. Not as not to the same degree that OEL did, but we had former players um, like who 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 commented on. Uh, on, on quads is um well i know that i think, I think there was yeah I think I there was like mike johnson mike johnson did i know that max lapierre uh tweeted something along the lines of uh he would have loved to see john tortorella be the coach of that while that was happening yeah so this is clearly like this isn't a a, a local this wasn't a local story this and and how many like your your tweet i think got uh thousands of likes so it got uh, a lot of exposure around Around the hockey world, world as a whole. So I wonder if if, if um, anyone within the industry and game game itself that perhaps would have considered someone like Ulevi, if um, if that uh, if that caught their attention and, and could potentially impact their decision. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I lean towards no that he will not get claimed. And what does that mean? Like if he doesn't and he goes down to the A, is, is that is that kind of the best scenario for you? Kind of after not only just what we've seen at training camp here, but to me, that's <laughs> I, I'm not giving up yet. You know, it's like maybe he goes down to the A and figures it all out. Like I, you know, I've I've obviously I'm obviously in the camp now where I don't think Yelevi's going to make the team. I I was in that camp a lot in the off season. Uh, I was saying it, it's a stylistic fit that works with Tyler Myers. I, I liked the fit. I didn't see Brad Hunt play at the time. I knew that Rathbone was going to be good. I kind of saw exactly what I expected from Rathbone. But to me now, if he does get down to the A, that's that's literally the best case scenario because Jim Benning then doesn't lose the guy that he drafted fifth overall. I mean, I don't I don't really know who it's the best case scenario for actually <laughs> True, yeah. because. Ulevi is not going to, like, in that scenario, Ulevi doesn't get to play in the NA, in the, um, in the NHL. And, and sure, I guess from, from the Canucks' perspective, it's better that you still have him in the system as a depth option. But I'm sure they, they would have preferred if he outright just made the team with, mm. uh, with a good camp performance. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we'll see. Maybe there, maybe by some miracle he can, I don't know. He, he he almost certainly won't, but maybe he can turn things around in the preseason and prove <laughs> otherwise. But yeah, I mean, I, I honestly I don't see there kind of really being a best case scenario or, or whatever from this. Yeah, he could return and, and rebuild himself, but I, I don't know if like to, in my eyes anyway, this was kind of the the make or break. Yeah, I mean, could we see him again in the NHL play a few games here here and there? Sure. Um, and I'm not obviously going to completely write him off after three three days in camp, but if let's say this continues through the preseason and he ultimately gets waived, like it, like if we're at the point that he gets waived and Jim Benning's giving up on him, which is the would be the right move to do because Hunt and Rathbone have been better, but still he's a fifth overall pick. That's hard for for Benning to do optically. If the team gets to that point. 
then I think I, I see I just don't see him in the team's long term plans anymore. To be completely honest with you, how about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Well, that harm. Um, no, aside from <laughs> aside from Yulevi, there was another name I want to get into because I'm with you. I, I think we got to see a preseason here, but everything that we saw in training camp was not really setting me up for for a lot of hype of Yulevi going into. But preseason is going to end up meaning more than training camp, so we'll see what happens here. Though I do agree with you that that look that we saw, you know, just just everyone getting a visual of that with Ole Yulevi. The organization hated that. They had to hate that. Um, but we will move on to the other guy, and we'll kind of wrap up on this. Man, we went a little long uh, on your levy there, but uh, kind of had to. The last guy I wanted to say, like, my pick going into this, when when we all thought that Brandon Sutter was healthy, when we all thought that Tyler Mott was healthy, the other guy who was going to fill out the fourth line to me was Matthew Highmore. There was days I didn't know Matthew Highmore was even on the ice. Uh, aside from maybe today when he bulldozed Yalevi, unfortunately. So we're talking about the two fallers right now going up against each other. But to me, Highmore's a guy who can kill penalties for you. He came in, he put up a few points for the Canucks last year at the end of the year on a very tough season on a bad line. Played a little bit of top six minutes. Like, what the hell was going on last year? But Matthew Highmore, like, really didn't do anything. When we saw these other players that were in that kind of pool of battling for a 13th forward or a fourth line role... Highmore, I feel like, came in as the number one seed, and from what we saw from Lockwood, from what we've seen from DiGiuseppe, heck, Nick Patan, it's potential option higher than him, Zach McEwen getting up in the lineup, Matthew Highmore just fell behind everyone that he was competing with at training camp here. For sure, and especially for someone who has speed and disruptive ability, like, this should be the, the type of environment for him to really make an impact, and again, it's it just goes back to like when we talked about McEwen and not being able to really l- make a mark, make an impact. Um, again, time after time, it's usually a depth player fighting for a job that ends up looking like one of the best players out of camp, right? In, in July, McEwen was one of the best players in camp. Right. So if you're Highmore and you're expecting and you're hoping to be an effective everyday fourth line player, You've got to come in and you, you and you have to put in a strong camp performance. Like that's the expectation, and uh, he didn't really come close to living up to it. Uh, again, as you as you kind of mentioned, just invisible out there, not really able to, um, just not engaged and in and around the puck. I think that's that's the that's the biggest thing I look for, and and one of the biggest differences between him and someone like Lockwood was how involved with the play he was. And it's not because of a lack of effort. Um, it's just for whatever reason. He he was skating and he was on the ice, but it felt like he really wasn't on the ice. And that's not a good sign for a player who, through the second half of the season when he came, you'd notice him. You'd notice him keeping pucks on the forecheck, um, occasionally picking up passes, uh, winning board battles, um, you know, getting a couple rushes and, and getting some, some scoring chances in and around the net. Uh, we've seen, frankly, nothing uh, nothing along those lines uh, through three days of camp in Abbotsford. I think the thing that you've kind of mentioned a little bit earlier in this, in this podcast was that penalty killing is so important, though. That's where it's like when they get to game one and they have to put penalty killers out there, is does this kind of just like wipe a lot of what we just saw at training camp when you are talking about the battle between Di Giuseppe and Highmore because Highmore can kill penalties in the NHL? Yeah, and that's that's 
And that's a really good question. And I think a lot of it comes down to the appetite of how how comfortable is Green with the idea of, say, Miller and, and Pearson uh, killing penalties to start the year. Yeah. Um, that would ultimately dictate whether you need another shorthanded option um, like Highmore or whether you could just straight up put in the best player player um, available on your uh, on your fourth line wing, and we've heard Travis Green. I think in an ideal world, he definitely doesn't want to play Miller uh, on the penalty kill just because of all that uh, additional um, physical taxation. And we've heard Green talk about last season and how he, he how he felt that Miller was overplayed and he'd like to reduce his minutes just a, just a tad. Uh, I definitely agree with that assertion, and and so I mean I'd prefer Miller not to kill penalties. Um, Pearson, I guess, could draw in. He's a fine, he's an okay penalty killer. Uh, so again, it just comes down to the comfort level there, and and yeah, as you kind of mentioned, that PK ability is a bit of a feather in in Highmore's cap. Although uh, with Di Giuseppe, it is. Um, it is worth mentioning that um, that he oh, that he doesn't have the extensive PK experience, but that's uh, based off the conversation and interview he had with uh, Daniel Agner, um, mm-hmm. uh, and in his article that I saw, um, Di Giuseppe feels confident in, in his PK ability and was actually just starting um, to get some of those a few of those reps um, last year in New York, but it just happened to be that the Rangers had their four forwards uh, locked in at a certain point and they performed so well that DJ said he didn't get another crack. So I wonder about that as well. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely an edge that Highmore still has is that extra, that extra utility. Um, it's just like, if I'm Travis Green, I, I still like, it's hard. It would be hard for me to, to plug Highmore in over each step yet uh, at, at this stage, especially because Highmore has killed a ton of penalties either he did it yeah. for the Canucks um during the second half of last season but I'm looking at it now like he only killed 11 minutes worth of, of penalties in 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 uh in Chicago before that um earlier in the season 12 minutes in 2019-20 like he's 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 really only been a part-time penalty killer as well he honestly doesn't have much more experience hey, than Di Giuseppe so how, how many yeah. games in in Chicago there when you're talking about those 11 minutes before he came to Vancouver like you have the stats in front of you there yeah well i'll just give you the time uh, the, the 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 minutes per per game or whatever so it's been 22 seconds a game yeah. uh, so like 12 minutes over 34 games that's not uh, it. 11 that's minutes not a penalty over, over 24 yeah he's not he hasn't been an established penalty killer so um that leads me to believe like it's got to be like if i'm travis green and i look at so here are two guys with relatively limited PK experience. Highmore maybe has a slight edge in the shorthanded department, but it's not a big difference. Um, then I think all the other elements of Di Giuseppe's performance in camp so far would have to be decisive. And I think the the performance at camp that we saw from Will Lockwood screams, put me on the penalty kill, right? Like everything that he did at camp would make me say, yeah, I'd like to see what he can do killing penalties. I'd like to see that speed be kind of unleashed when he's, you know, chipping away a puck from the defenseman at the point and beating the other defenseman to the net. Lockwood just screams penalty killer to me. I don't know about you, but I think we saw a lot of the same things at camp with him. I, I see those attributes, but, I don't know if Travis Green would give a rookie those kinds of reps. 
to start the season, especially as a regular PKer. Hmm. Um, if it was one of those scenarios where he's the fifth option, like let's say if um, one of your other regular penalty killers, um, like let's say Pearson ends up being your fourth uh, penalty killer and he ends up taking a penalty, then maybe Lockwood's the guy that's, that would step in as, as gotcha. an extra candidate. But um, historically, we haven't really seen like, for instance, for how many years was there a discussion when, when the team, like in 2017, 18, 2018, 19, when the team honestly had nothing to really play for left um, and they were already out of the playoff chase, how many people were talking about should we give Jake Vertanen a shot at killing penalties and see if he can develop that side of his game? Or, mm-hmm. Same um, with Horvat last, last couple of years, year. right? Yeah, like Horvat, exactly. Horvat's a perfect opportunity. During the, the, during the rebuilding years, he got spot duty here and there, but... Um, the team never really developed him as a as a penalty killer, which I understand because it's not as if he's honest. I, I don't think he's very good at it personally, but um, they didn't really give it a long look either. And um, I mean, last year as well, Jim Benning was talking talking about maybe Godet gets a chance there on the penalty kill, and we never saw that. And so to me, it just doesn't seem like it's Travis Green's. Like he'd have, like he'd have to kind of buck his own history to give a young rookie like Lockwood that kind of rope to yeah. start the season. I mean, Lockwood killed penalties in Utica. I mean, he he definitely has that in his. In but Yulevi killed penalties in Utica as that's well, and, and he barely killed. Yeah, and I mean, he's a guy who I think that's where you would see the best success off Yulevi. But we we don't get an opportunity to see that. So I, I see where you're going with this, and it's weird that Highmore would be you know a couple years older than Lockwood. It's not like he's a, a five years of more NHL veteran. Time that that was a horrible way of putting that sentence together. But anyways, he's not a he doesn't have that much more experience in the NHL than Lockwood. Obviously, has none. But it's not like Highmore is a 500 plus NHL games. He's been penalty killing the whole time. That's why to me, like I wonder if Travis does kind of go with the read of potential penalty killer a little bit when he's comparing. You know, obviously he's not going to put Lockwood out there and ahead of Brandon Sutter. He's not going to put Lockwood out there ahead of Pearson. But if those are the two guys that you are needing to kill penalties for you, like you, we've kind of touched on it this whole episode, like there's not a lot of guys that when we make like the best five on five roster, I only count like two, three guys that Travis Green would be happy with killing penalties. Yeah. And honestly, don't know what the easy solution is, to be quite honest with you. And it's further complicated if Sutter is injured yes. to start the season. And I mean, I just. I don't know. It's it's. I think the team was maybe tanking on someone like Highmore, um, yeah. having a strong camp, and that hasn't come to fruition. So we'll see. Especially because the PK was um, a, a big one of the big reasons why the team struggled at the gate last uh, last season and, and had that rough start that put them behind the eight ball. So I don't have I don't have the answers, and, and I don't think the coaching staff does. It, does either at this uh, at this point in camp? We're just gonna have to see how things unfold in preseason. And um, tell you it's, what, Harv. It's, it's still up in the air. There's still a lot of question question marks with this team. I mean, yeah. you, you look at the, you talk about the penalty kill. You talk about the right side of the blue line um, with, with Hamonic's uncertain status. Um, we don't know what's happening with Sutter. Uh, I mean, there's, there's still uh, obviously the the elephants in the room, PD and Hughes. We haven't yeah. had those guys back. Like this, um, as, as much as as much as the team's prepared itself well through camp so far, there are still a lot of question marks, and it's not as if it's really the coaching staff's fault. But 
here we are. <laughs> Harm, it seems like you want to go for another 50 minutes here, but we're not going to have you back for two weeks. So you got anything else you want to sneak in there? You've been kind of touched on every topic there. But uh, no, but seriously, I, I wonder, just to get back to the penalty killing thing a little bit, I mean, does Pod Colson get that time because of all the time that he did spend in the KHL killing penalties? One of the places where he did get consistent ice time was as a penalty killer for Scott. Yeah, it's a similar question as the one I had for um, for Lockwood. I mean, if it came down to it, I think Travis Green would probably go with, even though even though even though he's reluctant and would prefer not to, I think he'd go to. He'd probably go to um, Miller and Pearson and probably even Horvat before going to Pod Coles. And I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I mean, if you if you go into the mindset of we're never going to give rookies a chance to PK, then I mean, you're never going to develop any new penalty killers. So <laughs> I mean, we'll see if anything changes. But yeah, I mean, I'd um, I mean Pod Coles, and I think one day should be an NHL penalty killer for sure with his defensive awareness, battle level, the way he blocks shots, all of those attributes. Uh, but again, I don't know if, if he's going to get that shot right away because, I mean, I thought you brought up the best example um, in mentioning Ulevi, where Ulevi killed penalties um, in Utica extensively, and he didn't do it a whole lot uh, last year except for when injuries really started to strike and when um, the team would have, when, when they'd have routinely have one of Edler Myers and in the box <laughs> sometimes both believe it or not um but <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right harm it, it's been great uh getting you on for the whole weekend here man uh thank you so much for coming by for for the three episodes it was a blast having you on uh but first i i gotta ask because we went out for dinner uh yourself me quads uh drance and and j pat what'd you think of drance's eggplant pizza that he had oh man that's uh well, okay, I can't really be, first, for starters, I can't really be one to judge because I have, um, I have the, I have the food taste of a 12 year old that pretty much only eats sandwiches and burgers and, um, Italian food. I, I am a very picky eater and, and tend to have food takes that most people would disagree with. So I'm not really one to be judging other people's, uh, uh, food uh, food takes, but uh, eggplant pizza uh, thumbs down for me personally. It was an eggplant pizza with a side salad on top. That was it was quite the look. Not really my type. And he was kind of when he was ordering, he's like, "Anybody want to split an eggplant pizza?" Or we're all like, "No, <laughs> nobody wants to split an eggplant <laughs> pizza." And it was funny watching you and Quads order uh, at the brewery that we were at. I forget their name now. No free ads, anyways. But nice little spot. But man, you and Quads, as soon as you saw pepperoni pizza on the order. Or on the menu, I don't think you guys hesitated for a second. It was immediate that that was going to be your guys's uh, to match your taste palette. That was a pepperoni pizza for sure. Yeah, the palate of a twelve-year-old. So, <laughs> but you know um, what? At the same time, what did J-Pat ordered grilled cheese at a at a nice brewery, and it kind of it didn't look like a yeah. fancy grilled cheese. It was basic. Yeah, uh, and so I guess, um, yeah, I mean, if J-Pat's ordering a grilled cheese, and I mean, nobody can. Nobody can really clown on us for for a pepperoni pizza. I mean, everyone eats pepperoni pizza. It's true. That's true. And yeah, I mean, well, not everyone, but like the vast majority of people. Well, it was funny because people for a pepperoni pizza. We're making fun of you guys and your you know your childish uh, eating habits. And then the funny thing is, the oldest guy at the table 
He's eating a grilled cheese. So that was, that was quite the surprise. I was, man, I tell you, I think I did it the best. Ordering that charcuterie board. That was, that's my move. And, and man, you get a good charcuterie it. board. Yeah, I, I was wondering. I was like, is Harm going to go, like, what's Harm, what's your take on brie cheese? Because that's the one that I, I'm a little up in the air on sometimes. I've had good, I've had bad. The one I had there was good. But I think that sometimes when a charcuterie board is like all brie cheese and not just, you know, some standard cheddar, like that ruins it for me a little bit. The only issue with the charcuterie, charcuterie board for me is, for whatever reason, when I eat a lot of dairy, when I eat a lot of like cheese, and um, and and, and where are you going with like this? That, my, no, I tend to break out. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. With uh, I, I'll get uh, I'll get a little bit of acne. So no, I, I don't I don't get gas. No, no, no. My stomach's <laughs> fine. It's just for whatever reason, my face doesn't, my skin doesn't seem to like it when I have a too an ex- excess amount of cheese. So. That's why that I think kind of um, tilted the scales for me towards the the pepperoni pizza, which is funny because there's quite a bit of cheese on a pizza as well, Harm. There still is, yeah, and that's <laughs> why I can't eat pizza too often. Fair enough. Well, uh, man, it, it was nice to get out and see everyone. It's great to wrap up camp, uh, and yeah, like we said, I know that the listeners have appreciated it. So you know, thanks for coming by the whole camp with us, Harm. You stuck it through for all three episodes there, uh, and now you got two weeks off. We'll we'll meet up with you in two weeks on a Saturday because that's what we're going to be doing every second Saturday with you. Uh, and by that time, man, just rolling into the regular season, we should have quite a bit to talk about. Uh, Harm, any final words from uh, from training camp this weekend and, and being with us here at the Canucks Convo full time? No, just uh, just excited for for to at some point to be able to talk about games. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Preseason games going to be a lot of fun. And man, by the next time you're back here on the show, it is going. There's going to be a lot to talk about. So we'll wrap things up there. I hope I don't mess this up because I got different names here. I'm probably going to do it. All right, for my co-host Harmon Dial, for my absent co-host David Quadrelli. No one knows where he is. I haven't heard from him in, in a couple days ever since we left the bar there. Uh, my name is Chris Faber. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.